Hallelujah. Can we give God a shout of praise in the house tonight? So blessed. So blessed to be here tonight and so thankful for every one of you coming. Uh, I am so excited about what God's going to unpack. I couldn't wait to get to the house of the Lord. I'm so glad you guys came back. How many were here last night? How many were here last night? Praise Jesus. I'm still reeling off that, that truth. Man does not live upon bread alone, but every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. I'm going to unpack the word. You don't want to forget tomorrow night. I mean, not tomorrow night, tomorrow morning. I'm used to tomorrow night. <laughs> no, tomorrow night you can fly with me to, from St. Louis to Tucson if you want to. <laughs> but, but anyway, we're excited about what God's going to do. But give Meliana a hand as she comes. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Are you glad you're in God's house tonight? Amen. I tell you what, I am so blessed. I felt so short standing down there. I want to get up here. <laughs> so anyway, I felt so rested. I slept, felt like that. I haven't slept in months. I woke up at noon this morning. Praise God. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. You know why? Because every Wednesday, Wherever part, whatever part of the country we're at, after preaching, we get on a plane, not sleeping that night, get on a plane, fly to Tucson. On top of that, we have an early morning prayer from 5.30 to 6.30 every morning. So, and we better be there, okay? So, so we assign people to do it every day, but we are always there. And I'm so proud of when we're in Hawaii. We went away a couple of months ago, and I tell you what, we because after service we go to dinner with the pastor and the, uh, some of the associates, and then that's the early morning prayer comes on at two o'clock in the morning. So, <laughs> so we try to show up for the early morning prayer and try to go take a nap. But anyway, it's 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 a blessing when we are in this part of the country. That means we came two hours. But when we are in some other part of the country, oh, my gosh, I pray, oh, God, please help me to sleep. So anyway, it has been a blessing. Um, uh, you guys heard uh, we talk about that we started a, a church in Tucson, and it has, been, it has been an adventure. I have to say it that way. <laughs> so that way I am rejoicing. <laughs> ah, yes, hallelujah, <laughs> praise God. But like what I said last night, it's a lot of work, and it costs a lot, and the energy and everything, but it's exciting. What blessed me so much because we travel so much. Like what I said, we show up and preach, fly out the next day. And I remember a couple, a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago, I saw these young men, they are our usher. And I was saying, I don't even know their name. For me, that's the first time I've seen them, you know. And I said, my gosh, how did they become an usher? And um, don't even know their name. And I left the next day. We flew out. And I tell you what, I just almost cry in a plane because of how good God is. How he worked out everything so beautifully, even though we're not there. But we have raised up a few people to, um, to run the church while we're not there. So they were the ones that right, that have reached out and grabbed. And listen, if you come to our church, you'll be your work. Your work will put you to work. The next following week you come, whether we know your name or not, you will be an usher. Okay? <laughs> and 
that's what happened to our church. But like I'll, I'll go, the, I will preach there like on Thursday and I leave. I come back next week. Oh, we have new ushers and new greeters. I don't even know their name. <laughs> so anyway, talking about uh, a new usher, like what I said, we put everybody to work. So our, uh, when we first started meeting and we saw this young couple, great looking couple, three kids, uh, uh, we decided, John and I decided to put them as our greeter. Because they have nice teeth, okay? So <laughs> we put them to be our greeters. <laughs> so we did. And um, uh, like what I said, we put everybody to work, whether we know you or not. You will be, uh, you will put you to work, do something. So, um, uh, the, so the next week, John uh, approached him and told him, hey, I'd like to take you out to uh, breakfast with some of the guys here at the church. So he took him out to breakfast, and John found out that he's not married. <laughs> our usher, okay? I mean, our greeter. He's not married. He had been living together with his girlfriend for 10 years with three children. So that's what happened when you put people to work that you don't know. <laughs> so... We told him, oh, you can't be an usher. You, I mean, you can't be a greeter anymore, not an usher anymore, because he, we put him to work. Not only greeter, usher too. Cannot do that anymore. You have to get married. Listen, sometimes you have to tell people the truth, okay? Don't hide it. So that's the only way they'll get delivered and do the right thing. So he not being a greeter anymore, so we set him down. But then we need a greeter again. I need somebody to greet the people and uh, do everything that we needed to be done. So I approached this lady, looked like my age, or a little bit older, and looked clean cut, all dressed nice. And I wanted her. She, not, she doesn't do all this silly stuff. She'll be the perfect one to be our greeter. So she did. Been greeting for a few weeks. And then, like what I said, we have early morning prayer on Zoom. Every morning, we usually have, like, up sometimes go up to 26 people, but 15 up to 20, and that's how you study. So, and then we pray uh, every morning, and then you, if you have a prayer request, you can ask us to pray for, pray for you. So, one morning in our early morning prayer, our greeter said, oh, I have a prayer request. Can you guys pray for me? So, that was our next greeter that I just appointed. And I asked her, what is your prayer request? And she said, oh, please, can you pray? Can you guys pray for me? Talk about raw, okay? Our folks, you know, so raw, have no religious background. She said, please, can you guys pray for me? I have been addicted and struggled for the last 26 years with heroin. Drug addiction, heroin addiction. And I was thinking, oh my gosh, all I want is a greeter. That's all I want. There goes my second greeter. And then I was like, oh my God, no wonder she came to church was looking like it. And then she sit down, you know, she looks fine. But then it, she hit it so well. And then... Um, I was thinking, oh, my goodness, what are we supposed to do? You guys heard John shared last night that we bought a house in Tucson, 
Again, it was not planned. We did not plan to buy a house. But because it got to be so expensive paying an Airbnb that, that we are uh, staying at and have a, a young couple that came to help us from West Virginia put them, we have, all have to put them up on Airbnb. And it's expensive because I have, always have to rent a three-bedroom. I cannot just do one. I have to do three-bedroom. Because uh, we have to have a, a higher uh, a children pastor also from Hawaii, and so that's why it was so expensive. So because so expensive pushed us to buy a house. So that we bought a house that we did not plan for. So we bought the house, and um, I remember uh, when uh, beautiful home, beautiful area. When I walk into the house, I wanted to see how big the backyard is. And I just walked through the, the living room, kitchen, and uh, hallway, went right away to the backyard, opened the, the sliding door, and went in the backyard. And when I walked into the backyard, I was so blessed because the last owner had left us this huge tub. I count all of them, seven of them, seven or eight, I'm not quite sure. Uh, I think it was eight, eight of them. This huge tub, it is a vegetable tub, plants with vegetables on it that is, he already planted in it. And I tell you, I was so happy. They all look new. The house is fairly new. It's a two-year-old house. And all these tubs, they all look new. And I was thinking, wow. And there are some vegetables in it. I tell you what, I was so happy. So thrilled, so excited. Haven't even seen the house yet. I went, I went to see outside. I was so excited. Oh, wow. How nice the last owner had left us all these tubs with the vegetables in it, the plants in it. He didn't take it with, he didn't took it with them. And as I walked up closer to the tubs, and look at all the vegetables, many of them were half dead. And I was thinking, oh my gosh, this is so sad. Why, why are these vegetables are half dead? And I look over to the side, there was a host right there, laying right there. So somehow the, 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 the owner even left the host also. So I went over there and turned on the water and start watering those plants. And I tell you what, next day I came and looked at it. Those plants, many of them start turning green. And every day I come and start watering them and those plants start coming back to life. And the following week I came back, that huge tomato plants that have fruit in it, but again, like what I said, they were half dead also. It start turning a green also and start bearing fruits again. And I tell you what, I was standing there and I was so blessed. I was so excited because I was wondering why the plants was half dead. And finally dawned on me, the realtor told us right before we closed the escrow that the, um, the owner when he found out that he had a buyer, that someone, what happened? The house came out on the market the same day I saw, I found it. 
And I offer it right away because Arizona is a hot spot of, on uh, real estate. So I offer it because I need a house right away. Because I tried to get a house earlier on another, another part of a town. I offered $2,000 from the, from the asking price. I didn't get it. So when this house came on the market, I offered full price just so I can get it, so I can get out from paying Airbnb. So I got it. And, but I tell you what, if the owner wait for a few, for few bids, I don't think I will get it. But when he, I, I offer right away that I was the first one off a full price, guess what? He accepted it. I was thinking, thank you, Jesus. But guess what he did? When he found out that, he packed up everything and he left the house. He moved out of state already. Him and his whole family, they left right away. So then I figured out, because you said when you buy a house, it takes about 20, 30, or 45 days for you to finish all the paperwork and close the escrow. So because it took us, like what my husband said, it took us, I think, probably 40 days to get all the paperwork done. Because it took us that long and the last owner and the owner left, no one was in the house to continue to water those plants. And that's why those plants were half dead. Now, if I want to see those plants came back to life and bear fruit, it's my responsibility as a new owner to get the hose and start watering it if I want those vegetables to continue to bear fruit and come back to life. Amen? As I was watering those plants and every week I came back and stood outside there and watered those plants, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and he said, Meliana, the reason why I sent you and John here to Tucson to start a church here. Why? Because I wanted you guys to water these people so they can come back to life. The reason why your greeters, the reason why your greeters have been living in sin for how many years they did not know any difference. Why? Because there is nobody to water them with the word of God. The reason why your greeter have been addicted to heroin for the last 26 years because there was nobody to water them with my word. Now it's your responsibility as the last owner. He, looked, he, he said, Meliana, I have given you these people. They are a gift from me. I am the owner. Now it's your responsibility to water them with my words. And I promise you, Meliana, if you continue to water them week after week with my word, I guarantee you, I promise you, they will come back to life. Hallelujah. Praise God. And he said, Meliana, look at it. The last owner, he did not have to leave you all those vegetable tubs and the plants in it. But he left that to you as a gift. And look at it. He even left the host right there 
for you to water it. And he said, Meliana, if you continue to obey me and be faithful, I guarantee you I will give you everything that you need to water these people. As the last owner left you the host, that is an example of me giving you everything that you will need. Amen. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. And guess what? Glory to God. A few weeks later, I think it was three weeks later, our first creator and his wife, he called us. He called John. And he said, John, me and my girlfriend, we have been talking for many weeks now. We decided we wanted to get married. And I wanted to see, I saw your calendar. You are heading to, to Hawaii next month. You're going to go over there and speak in a conference. I wanted to see if you can do our wedding. We're going to fly to Hawaii a week early. I wanted to see if you can fly in and do our wedding in Hawaii, in Honolulu. And right after that, then we all fly to Maui and attend in your conference. And guess what? That's exactly what we did. If you're friend with me on social media, you'll, you will see that I have put up all these beautiful pictures back in December of this beautiful couple with their three children. We did their wedding in Hawaii. And right after that, we went to the conference. And guess what? They are our most uh, uh, they are the, uh, uh, that, that young couple, they are our most giver in our little church right now. Not only that, that our, uh, our, our children pastor, because we asked her, she just fresh out, graduate out from college. So we asked her if she can commit it to a six months. So her six months was ended in March. And we needed a children pastor. And guess who became our children pastor? It was the young couple's wife. Isn't God good? Praise God. As you continue to water what the Lord has given you, guess what? You will reap a harvest. Amen. And that's exactly what happened to this young couple. Not only that, remember that lady that I told you was a drug addiction? She came, we brought her, she came uh, the following week. She came and we asked her to come up to the front. We laid laid hand on her, pray over her, delivered her from drugs, and guess what? She had been, like what I said, all these young, young men that, uh, uh, they are our, our uh, usher coming up and down the aisle, you know, doing uh, catching people and uh, collecting the, the offering. They are the grandchildren of this, uh, this lady that, I was, that have been addicted to heroin. God delivered her. Now she brought her family to church, brought her sons, brought her daughter-in-laws, brought her grandchildren. That's why I want to encourage you. When you use the gift that God has given you, you see, I mean, I break my heart when I've seen people. God have gifted them. God has give, have gifted them with gift, a voice. You know, I'm so blessed. See the sister over here, you know, singing, worshiping the Lord. Why? You know why? You are watering God's people with your gift. And I've seen people, you know, holding back their tie. Listen, whatever the gift that God has given, I, God gave to us not to hold back. What if I did not water those plants? They will They will die. What if we did not continue to preach God's word in Tucson? Those people will never know how to experience the goodness of God. Because we all know the blessings 
and the goodness of God, we will experience it when we live a lifestyle that is pleasing to God. Amen? I tell you what, we have been so blessed. God has been so good. And I shared that story to encourage you guys. When you are faithful, God, faithful to God, God will see to it that he will be faithful to you. You will reap a harvest on where you have sown your seed, not only financially. You, have sown a, you will reap a harvest when you serve the body of Christ. Amen? Praise God. Give Jesus another big hand clap. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, God. I love that story, Meliana, uh, because it comes alive on the inside of my vision, of my heart, because that's exactly what we see every single week. And as, I, as Meliana was saying that, I found out that this ministry is planning a church in Peter, is it Petersburg, right? Petersburg, Illinois. And I just wanted to say this. Petersburg deserves that we water them. And the reason why the people are half dead. Are you hearing what I'm saying? It was nobody went over there and watered them. And God has sent you over there to water those people so that they can come back to life. Come on and give God a shout of praise. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I want to talk about something. I couldn't wait to share this. Been toying with a couple of messages, but really felt led of the Lord to share what I'm going to share. See, I'm going to take a familiar story, then I'm going to preach something that probably doesn't get preached very often, because I'm going to talk about something that's dear to my heart and, and dear to Meliana's heart as well, that, you know, sometimes how we navigate through conflict is really going to really going to produce the fruit that we like that we like to see. And I want you to turn with me to Judges chapter 6 because I love Judges chapter 6 and I'm hoping to get over to chapter 8 depending on how long it's going to take me. However, I will tell you this. I'm going to title this message Unlocking the Warriors. Everybody say unlocking the warriors. How many know we live in a culture where people are locked up? They're locked up. I think that sometimes we come to churches and people are locked up. And they can be locked up in all kinds of things. And in our case, because we, we're, we live in the fifth poorest, uh, what we, our church is in the, we don't live there, but our church is in the fifth poorest city in America. The church is in the hood, and every week we encounter people who are locked up. They're locked up emotionally. They're locked up in their addiction. They're locked up in sin. They're locked up. And our job is to unlock them. Come on. The job of the church is to unlock people. The job of the church is not just to fill the pews. The job of the church is to unlock individuals. And when I talk to you about being locked up, here, here's what I mean. See, that's why I believe in the power of the prophetic. Because the prophetic word can unlock people because what it does, it pulls out their pain and puts in the promise. Are you hearing what I'm saying? I want you to turn with me to Judges chapter 6. We're going to look at a very familiar passage and I'm going to break it down. And then I'll, and then I'll just begin to preach. 
But, but here's what happens. Verse 11. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak of Oprah. There that belonged to Joash the Asbarite, where a certain Gideon, now listen to this, was threshing wheat in a wine press. Everybody say, threshing wheat in a wine press. Say it again, threshing wheat in a wine press. First of all, if you do not know, let me tell you. You don't thresh wheat in a wine press. You make wine in a wine press. So why is Gideon threshing wheat in a wine press? First of all, you thresh wheat on the threshing floor. However, ladies and gentlemen, if Gideon went to the threshing floor, because this is what happened. They were, under a, they were being oppressed by a group of people called the Midianites. And the Midianites did something very, very sinister and very malicious to the people of Israel. What they did is they would allow them to grow their, grow their crops. And then, right when harvest season came, the Midianites would come and steal the Israelites' harvest. How many are tired of the devil stealing your harvest? Come on. How many are tired of the enemy stealing your harvest? So notice this. The reason why Gideon is actually threshing wheat in a wine press is because if he went to the threshing floor, what would happen, that the Midianites would see it because it's out in the open and they would come and they would take his harvest. Because his, because his wheat and his, and his prosperity was exposed to the enemy. And I can tell you something right now. I am tired of the enemy stealing God's people's harvest. Stealing, even stealing the harvest that belongs to faith assembly. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So Gideon is in this place where he, he's, he, because here's the thing, you got to understand what Gideon wants to do. Gideon wants to do something that's very important to God. Because how many remember that, the, this, that when Jesus wanted to feed the 5,000, the disciples said, send them away, right? Send the crowd away. Well, first of all, there's something we have to get, get clear in our mind. Jesus wants to feed people. Jesus wants to feed people. And the reason why Gideon is, Gideon is in the position that he's in is think about this. Even though they, he's under oppression, Gideon still wants to feed people. Even he's under this condition where they're being, where they're being oppressed by the Midianites, he still has a heart to want to feed Israel and to feed his family, and he wants to make, and he's willing to do anything because God will come and show up to people who want to feed people. Can I, and I tell you something right now, the, the reason why I, I believe that God had Melian and I uh, go to Tucson and, and, and because he knew that we would feed them. Come on. He knew that we would feed a heroin addict. He knew that we would feed somebody that was living together. He knew that we would minister to all kinds of people, and we didn't care about their background. We just wanted to feed them with God's Word because we knew that when we fed them, they'd come back to life. Come on. Are you hearing what I'm saying? 
And so, and we realize that people can't get fed on Sunday morning during Easter, Mother's Day, or Christmas. Are you hearing what I'm saying? They have to eat every day. And so, I see this, and notice what it says here. Then in verse 12, here's Gideon. It says, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with you. Everybody say, the Lord is with you. Now, I want to tell you something. That, that was the first prophetic word that Gideon received. Because if I'm going to have victory, and I'm going to be unlocked, and I'm going to unlock a generation, I better make sure God's with me. Because <laughs> God, if you're not with me, you're not, uh, nothing's going to happen. Come on. Because I can do nothing without him. And here's the thing. When you begin to do something new, when you begin to do something you never did before, the first thing you need to realize, no, is, uh, God, are you with me? Because if God is not with us, we're just doing it in our own strength. Come on. We're just doing it in our own efforts, our own ideas. And I can tell you something right now. There is something that is probably the greatest experience, knowing that God's with you even when it's difficult. Knowing that God's with you wherever you go. Knowing that you're in the will of God. The first greeting is God is with you. Now notice what he says here. The famous line. You mighty man of valor. Everybody say mighty man of valor. I want you to see this. You have to understand something. When Gideon received that word from God, there's nothing in his soul to indicate that he's mighty. In fact, there's nothing in him, in his experience, to indicate that he's mighty. In fact, he will read, will read on that, you know what? He hadn't even done anything mighty up to this point. Come on. Isn't it interesting that God will call you something because he sees your future. He doesn't just see your present. Come on. And, and because, I, you know, when you're, when, when you're in, a, in a prophetic atmosphere, you're not calling out their, their problems. You're calling out their future. Because when, they, when you see that in somebody, that they're mighty, see, what, which means that God saw something in Gideon that Gideon didn't see in himself. Come on. Because you know what? You know that God knows us better than we know ourselves. He, he, know, he knows the inside. He knows our motives. He knows everything. And he calls him mighty. Now, ladies and gentlemen, you've got to understand here because in this, in this story, what begins to happen is when he gets called mighty, you understand that sometimes what happens is we have a tendency to disagree with God what he says about us. Because we've already determined who we are. Come on. Based on our experience. Come on. Based on our past. Based on our present. We've already labeled ourselves. Because notice what Gideon says. Gideon responded, excuse me? Can you imagine telling God who's telling you are mighty? Oh, excuse me, God, you got the wrong guy. You got the wrong person. You got the wrong individual. I'm the wrong God. What are you talking about, mighty? What are you talking about, uh, God's with me? What are you talking about, all that stuff? Look at where I am. I'm threshing wheat in a wine press. Look at my experience. Look at the fact that we are oppressed. Look at the fact that we are depressed. Look at that we're impoverished. And you're saying you're with me? That certainly doesn't jive in my mind. So what happens is, excuse me, turn to your neighbor and say, excuse me. You know what? We, 
a lot of times what I've noticed is that we have an excuse. We always come an excuse to be what God doesn't want us to be. We always have an excuse to do what to 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 not do what God wants us to do. For instance, when when the disciples uh, wanted, when Jesus wanted to feed the five thousand, excuse me, Jesus, we don't have any money. Are you hearing me? In fact, it would take John says it would take a half a year's wages, and not even they wouldn't even get a bite. And then and then. Andrew comes up and tells Jesus, uh, Jesus, you know what? Uh, you know, all we got is five loaves and two fish. It belongs to this little boy. And what is that going to do among so many? Excuse me, we can't feed them, so just send them away. And excuse me. In other words, and, you and, and let me ask you some, something. Aren't you thankful that God doesn't listen to our excuses? Because I have to tell you, uh, uh, excuse me, Lord, I told you I would never pastor. <laughs> I, still don't, I still don't pastor in my mind, okay? So, <laughs> I'm not a pastor. Because Gideon responded, excuse me, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? So in other words, God, if you're with me, why, why are we oppressed? Why are we struggling the way we're struggling? Why are we in the situation that we're in if you're with us? And then Gideon is like suffering from wrong theology because then he goes, where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Now, first of all, Gideon, have you realized where you're at? Do you realize that you're talking to an angel right now? Come on. That doesn't happen every day. Come on. And he's telling an angel of the Lord, where are all the miracles that our fathers have told us about? Come on. And, and then, and, and then he goes, and then in that process, he then says, okay, he says, didn't they say the Lord brought us out of Egypt, but now the Lord has abandoned us and has handed us over to Midian? And then, and, and then the Lord turned to him and said, go in the might of yours and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? Everybody say, have I not sent you? Church, can I can tell you this? This is exactly what the word of the Lord does. The word of the Lord empowers you to do something beyond your experience. Even beyond your own natural ability and even your skill set and your gift mix. I can tell you that right now. I stand here with this microphone saying, go in the power of the might that I have I not sent you. Come on. Because when you know you're sent, you don't care who, whoever believes it or not, you're sent by God. Whether they accept you or reject you, it doesn't matter. How, how big the crowd is or how small the crowd is doesn't matter. Come on. All you know is God sent you. Come on. When you know God is sent, you don't worry about the size of your platform. You're more concerned about ministering to the people's soul. Come on. You're hearing what I'm saying. Because the measure of your effectiveness is not the size of your platform. It's your willingness to obey when your experience is outside what God is showing you. I can tell you that. 
And, and so what happens in that moment is at that moment, all of a sudden something shifts inside Gideon. Something shifts inside Gideon. Because the first thing that God asked Gideon to do, because he, God, Gideon can't see it, because the problem is not the Midianites. The problem is not the devil. The problem is not the devil in the church either. The problem is the idolatry in our houses. Oh, come on. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Honestly, I think that the hindrance of revival is idolatry. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Uh, you know, for instance, you know, uh, for, I'm, I'm, I'm not picking on anybody. I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad, but this is a reality. People want revival. They say they do, but they don't come on Saturday night. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And I'm thankful that you're here. Believe me, I'm thankful. But, but and I, I know it's Mother's Day, and I love my mother. I sent her roses, you know, and everything. And she called me today, and she said, John, thank you for doing that so nice. And, you know, I'm hoping that she'll buy me an Alfa Romeo car, sports car, you know, next week. You know, no, I'm just joking. But anyway, I sent that out just to, just, Mom, I appreciate you. I know it's Mother's Day, but how many know that God wants to move even on Mother's Day? Come on. That God wants to move by his spirit. And, and not just on a special day. Come on. He wants to move every day. He wants to move in the church. So before, see, because Gideon's got to get this right. Because if he doesn't get this right, the word of the Lord can't come to pass in his life. Yes, God wants to free him, use him to free Israel from the Midianites. But before he can free Israel, he's got to take care of some stuff in the house. So the first thing that God tells him to do is I want you to go to your father's house and tear down the idols. But see, you don't get in. It's like all of us. Sometimes we're scared to obey God. And so he goes at night. <laughs> he doesn't do it in the day. He goes do that. Uh -oh. So that nobody can see me destroy these Baals, you know. So he goes there, he destroys all the Baals. And, and you know what? They wake up in the morning and all the idols are broken and then they find out that Gideon did it and they want to kill him. And, and so, so what happens is his father says, hey, shouldn't Baal protect himself? And so all of a sudden Gideon's a hero. And then all of a sudden, because he obeyed God to destroy the idols in his house, then all of a sudden, in a matter of days, literally, he has a mega church. 30,000. That's a big church. Come on. That's 30,000 men gather to Gideon. Because when God says he's going to do something with you, he's going to give you the, I mean, what was in Gideon that could gather 30,000 warriors? And then in the middle of the 30,000 warriors, and they're going to go to battle because they're going to destroy the Midianites. And then God tells Gideon, hey, Gideon, oh, by the way, you got too many people. You know what? And, and so, so he, he tells him, you got to reduce them. So go and have this meeting, have this gathering, and tell them that whoever is afraid, go home. Now, can you imagine if Pastor Pastor?" Uh, uh, Pastor um, Darren, Darren, friend. And if you imagine Pastor Darren got up next Sunday and said, oh, you are afraid of the vision, just go home. Can you imagine a pastor getting up, getting up on church? And just all of you who really don't want to go into vision, don't want revival, just go home. 
But that's what he said. Are you hearing what I'm saying? All of you that don't want to fight the Midianites, don't want to press into God, don't want to pray, don't want to do anything, you just want to stare and look in the space, just go home. Come on. That's why I'm not a pastor. Oh, come on. Are you hearing what I... Can you imagine? Uh, just go home. I mean, what kind of pastoral tools are that? I mean, you don't love the sheep. Yes, I do love the sheep. I love the sheep because I can't drag you onto the battle when you don't want to fight. I can't make you fight. I can't make you pray. I can't make you press in for a move of God if you just want to be drugged every time. Just go home. That's why they never invited me to the church growth conference. I'd send everybody home. I mean, Gideon obviously go home. So, so I mean, Gideon, so, they were, so guess what happened? 20,000 go home. <laughs> now, we know if that would have happened in our denomination where a church went from 30,000 to 10,000 and we heard the message about going home, how many know there would be an investigation? Come on. Obviously, you're not doing it correctly because 20,000 left offended. Come on. Are you hearing what I'm saying? But, but so now you got 10,000. Okay, that's still a pretty good side shirt. 10,000, I'm happy with that. So they're, they're going to go to battle with 10,000 warriors. And then God comes to get in and say, hey, get in. You, got, you still got too many. And he tells them this. Take him to the river. Everybody say, take him to the river. Because real revival is going to determine who wants to fight. Take him to the river and have them drink out of the river. Because the way you drink is going to determine if God selects you or not. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Are you hearing what I'm saying? So, he, so, so you got to see this. They got 10,000. They all go down to the river. And when they go down the river, ladies and gentlemen, I'll tell you this. It's exactly what happened. 9,700 stuck their face in the river and drank from the river. And then the 300, what they did is they kneeled down and they cup their hand and they and they drank out of their hand while they watched come on what does that tell me that tells you who really are there to fight because some people just come to revival just to stick their face in it they don't come to under to be equipped they don't come to fight they don't come to after they leave to have a to have an experience that not just that, that, that they feel good or get their thirst quenched but they actually come because they want to do something that affects the nation come on they want to plant churches they want to change cities they want to change people's lives. They want to make an impact. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Which means 9,700 just came to the altar for their own self. They didn't come to go outside and go to battle. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Because ladies and gentlemen, how many want this church to succeed? 
How many want your plant to succeed? And pivot? Here's what's going to happen. We got to go to battle. Come on. We got to go to battle, which means, yeah, we're going to drink, but I'm going to drink right. I'm going to drink while I'm watching. I'm going to watch and pray. I'm going to pray. I'm going to drink. I'm going to serve. I'm going to give. I'm going to do everything I need to do. So now he's got 300. Now I can tell you this. I get 300 that drink right. I don't need 30,000. Come on. So they got 300, reduced to 300. And definitely, definitely, I can tell you this, Pastor Cammie, that there is no way that Gideon would have invited to the church multiplication network. He would not have gotten invited to the conference because he went from 30,000 to 300. Come on. That's a major exodus. Come on. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And so, what, 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 that's like 29,700 people walk up. That gets you enough that you want to get depressed after that. Come on. Well, he's down to 300. And God comes to him and says, hey, get in. If you're still afraid, <laughs> go to the enemy's camp. <laughs> now, <laughs> which means that. You know, because when you go from 30,000 to 300, you've got an excuse to be afraid. Come on. Because <laughs> the 30,000, that can give you some cushion, you know what I mean? But you're down to 300, down let me know, and you got multitudes of Midianites. And you're majorly outnumbered. And if you're still afraid, go to the enemy's camp. In other words, go to the enemy because the enemy is going to prophesy your victory. Sometimes I... I, I Sometimes I hear things, you know, when people tell me so-and-so said this, so-and-so said that, that, that. And what I realize is that they're just prophesying my victory. You know this abortion issue? They're just a prophesying that it'll be overturned. Are you hearing what I'm saying? You know what I mean? And what, and, and what happened is, so Gideon and his, Gideon, Gideon, Gideon and his, and his uh, armor bearer go over to the enemy's camp, and they go right in where, where, where there's a tent at night, and there, two of them are having this conversation, and they're having this conversation. This one guy has this dream, and he doesn't know how to interpret it, and so Gideon hears the dream. And then here's the guy interpret the dream. And that, that, oh, and the guy goes, it must be, I see uh, this bundle of wheat, and it must be the sword of Gideon. Come on. So he already knows they're scared of Gideon. Come on. And so Gideon goes back. He's all fired up because he knows my 300 are going to take the enemy's camp. I want to prophesy something that our group of people right here at Faith Assembly are going to take the territory. Are you hearing what I'm saying? We not might be many, but we're taking the territory. Now notice this. Then, because you have to understand that in this contents, Gideon never, ever had to engage in combat face-to-face -face with the enemy at that moment, at that time, in that moment of the context. He never shot an arrow. He never put his sword into somebody because guess what they did? They made noise. I said they made noise. 
You know what they did? They got their torches, they got their jars, and they beat on their jars and waved their torches. And this is what I don't understand, why the church doesn't make noise. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Are you, why don't we make noise? These groups that are so many, these groups that are much less populated than most of the American people are so loud. Come on about their lifestyles. Are you hearing what I'm saying? But why isn't the church make some noise? Come on. Because you know what we do? We, sometimes what happens is we sit in church and do not make enough noise. Can I tell you we need to make some noise? We need to make some noise in the community. We need to make some noise in Petersburg. Come on. If I were you, I'd put up a gospel tent right there in the center of town and make some noise. I put some music on, even if they like country music, I play country music. Come on. I do whatever they need to do with them people to get them in that tent. I'd advertise Miracle Night. Come on. People are going to get healed. Are you hearing what I'm saying? You don't need to invite a guest speaker. You already got a preacher. Come on. All you need to do is make some noise. Everybody say, make some noise. Because sometimes what we don't is we're not loud enough. We let the devil be louder than the church. We let the enemy become, we, we let people who are anti-Christ make the noise while the church sits in their pew silent. And you know what? The devil knows that too. But you know why Gideon won that battle that day? No, because you know what? Maybe you don't know how to preach. Maybe you don't have the gift of prophecy. But maybe you don't even sing well. But here's what you need to do because all of us can make noise. Come on. All of us can make noise. All of us can make a noise. I can wave my torch. I can wave my torch and I can beat my jar and make some noise. And guess what? The Midianites had thought that they had hired an entire army and actually began to fight each other. Oh, come on. Can I tell you what's going to happen in America? The enemy is going to fight one another while the church is going to be making noise. It happens. And that's why we don't need to engage. We just need to make noise. So they win this great battle. And that leads me to where I want to take you. Praise God. I got there. I got there. Praise Jesus. I want you to turn, if you would please, to Judges chapter 8. Because to me, ladies and gentlemen, This is Gideon's greatest victory. Side note. How many believe that God wants to raise up heroes? How many believe that God wants to raise up heroes? How many believe that God can make you a hero? Come on, in your generation. For me, what I'm going to share with you, I've never heard anybody preach out of the text in my life. And so... The Lord spoke to me a few months ago that he was raising up heroes in the body of Christ. And so I began to do a study about different people. And obviously when you think of heroes, Gideon being one of them. But there's, there's one of them, and I'll just get back to Gideon in a second. But when I think about heroes, I think about King David. And obviously when you think of King David being the hero, most people would take the, uh, go to the context of, in there in 1 Samuel 17 where... David begins to kill Goliath, and that to be the most heroic act. But ladies and gentlemen, David's most heroic act was not killing Goliath. David's most heroic act was not killing Saul. 
Because you can kill your enemy. Are you hearing me? That's, you can kill the devil. But what happens when your brother burns you? Come on, someone who's supposed to be on your own team. And they do something like Saul does, throw spears at you and make your life miserable. And, and then you're running for seven years. You're a fugitive. And all you want to do is serve Israel. And, and at the moment where he could kill Saul, he chooses not to kill Saul, even with the men who had gone to the cave with him. Come on, because not everybody will go to a cave with you. Here, here are 400 guys that went in the cave with him who had battled with David. And David at that moment said, no, I can't touch God's anointing. Come on, are you hearing me? That took more. That, he, he became a hero that day. Not when he killed Goliath, because that was the grace of God that gave him. But that took something in, in the, of his inner strength. That took the fruit of the Spirit. That took the spirit of self-control. It, it took a love. It took a perception to see in the future. It, it took so much to not to kill Saul. Well, in this particular case, here in chapter 8, verse 1, 2, and 3, and 4, that I'm going to read right now out of the NIV, it's interesting at this moment that, you know what, here is Gideon, he wins this great battle. I mean, he literally, the nation is being set free, yet the number of the Midianites, not all of them, but a number of them were, were in retreat, and Gideon's going after them. He's going to go after them. He's going to completely annihilate the Midianites. And that leads me to 8, verse 1. Now, hear this. Now, the Ephraimites asked Gideon, why have you treated us like this? Church, this is the most brilliant leadership thing I've ever heard in my life. Because how many have ever dealt with people who feel like you mistreated them? Come on. You know what I found out? Pastoring. One person will say, thank you, John. The other person is, will be offended at me. And will believe that I mistreated them. See, before, before... I could walk in here, mistreat you from the pulpit, and walk out. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I didn't hear about it. Come on. But now, sometimes, I, I, I don't do it intentionally, but sometimes people feel like they've been mistreated. And what happens when someone mis is mistreated when they felt like they've been ignored, then when they felt like they've been mistreated? Because it happens in relationships all the time. Here's Gideon. He just won a great victory. He just won an incredible battle. And these Ephraimites, that, that means they're brothers from his own tribe. Come on, they're, I mean, not his own tribe, but they're, they're his brothers from a different tribe. But ladies and gentlemen, they, they have been mistreated. Because why? Why didn't you call us when, when you went to fight Midian? In other words, Pastor Darren, when you went to the plant, the church, why didn't you bring us? When you did what you did, why didn't you tell us? We wanted to help you. I mean, I mean, how many, I mean, he's like, here's Gideon. It just comes out of nowhere. Come on. Where all of a sudden, I didn't know you was offended. I didn't know that you were resentful. Well, first of all, you got to understand something. The they challenged him vigorously. It means they challenged him. You know why? Because they resented him. 
They resented him not inviting them to the battle. Because I want to tell you something. Don't forget what I'm going to tell you. Resentment is not spontaneous. It's historical. Which means it builds from a history. Are you hearing what I'm saying? It's not, some, it's not a spontaneous emotion. It's a history. And first of all, why are you resentful of my victory? Come on, are you hearing me? Let me just tell you, this happens. This happens in churches all over America. It's happened to us. It's happened to me and Meliana where people actually resent your success. Come on. They resent your victory because they want to get the credit for the victory. Come on. They resent your blessing. Come on. They resent when you get blessed. They resent when you get anointed. They resent when you get opportunities. They resent that. Come on. And you know what the thing is? What Gideon does is that in the middle of that resentment, because here's what happened. You know what? Because I can't just tell somebody who's resentful just to get over it because it's real to them. There can be resentment in a marriage. There can be resentment between, between a father and a son and a, and a mother and a daughter in, within the context of the family. There can be resentment in a church. Come on. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And we can't say it's not real because it is real. I mean, I, I'm thinking it because here's, I mean, we could take this posture like, hey, what do you mean? Because if you were really doing something for God, you wouldn't act like that. Come on. They're resentful that they didn't get invited to the battle. Because Gideon gathered 3,000. 3, Why? Because you know what? Joshua came from their lineage. Gideon was from the tribe of Manasseh. And, and so they felt marginalized. They felt reduced. They felt objectified. You know what? We, we, you, didn't, you didn't ask us. And he challenged them. And I can tell you something. The greatest challenge is not the devil. The greatest challenge is in the church. The greatest challenge is dealing with people that you're trying to please. Come on. You're trying to navigate through. It, that is the greatest battle. Come on. Because we've already went. The devil is already under our feet. Come on. Sickness, disease, and, and lack is already under our feet. But see, here's what thing is, is. We can't, I can't put you under my feet. You're my brother or my sister. Come on. And so that's the biggest battle. And I can tell you something right now. That battle, a lot of times, affects people where in the middle of that battle, they make the wrong choice when they're challenged. Because if we're ever, let me just say this. If you want to be a leader, expect to be challenged. If you want to be a leader, expect to be challenged because you're going to be challenged. It's part of the growing process. But notice this. And because of their resentment, but how does Gideon navigate through the challenge? I'll tell you how he does it. It says, this is the first time I've sweat in Illinois. Jesus feels so good. <laughs> but he answered them. This is, this is what he does. He's so brilliant. But he answered them, what have I accomplished compared to you? In other words, this is how he diffuses their resentment and their offense and the conflict. He doesn't pull out, I'm the mighty man of valor card. I'm the leader card. 
I'm the pastor. I'm the prophet. I'm the, I'm the one that planted the church. I'm in charge here. He doesn't pull out that cord. Because I, well, I mean, let me just tell you, in 38 years of marriage, there's been opportunity for conflict. Come on. And the last thing I do in the middle of the conflict is pull out the scripture card that wives submit to your husbands. I don't pull that card out because it doesn't work. I tried it. Come on. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. Are you hearing me? Is that, that's the truth. But if I, if I misapply that in the middle of it doesn't work. Because they're resentful or the person is angry or the person is upset. And if I pull out my account, look what I've done. Oh, you're going to do what I say. Oh, I beat the Midianites up. I, I had 30,000. God told me to go to, to, to 10,000. Then it took me. They got three. And for 300 people, I won this battle. He doesn't pull out that card. Re, resentful people don't need to hear about our accomplishments. They need to get delivered. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And it's not my accomplishments that's going to deliver them. My accomplishments is only going to fuel their hurt and fuel their pain. So notice what he does here. He, he, he doesn't pull out the accomplishment card. And then he says, aren't the gleanings of Ephraim's grapes better than the full grape harvest? In other words, of Abzair? In other words, your, your harvest is better than mine. You're more prosperous than I am. He builds them up, Meliana. He actually builds them up. He adds value to them when, when they devalued him. Oh, come on. Because a lot of times what can happen was people resentful. We can get defensive. The initial thing is we get defensive because we want to protect what we've done. Gideon doesn't do that. So then, this is amazing. And then he says, God gave Oreb and Zeb, the Midianite leaders, into your hands. I didn't do that. You got the generals. You got the big guys. I just got the majority of the foot soldiers. You got these big guys. What have I done? What was I able to do compared to you? Listen to this. At this, their resentment against him subsided. He diffuses the conflict. Because he knows something. He sees something. My fight isn't my brothers. My fight isn't with my brothers. My fight is the Midianites. My fight is not the people that don't like, that, that are upset with me. My fight is the enemy. That's my real fight. My fight isn't you. My fight isn't the assembly of God. My fight isn't the leaders. My fight is the enemy. Come on. Are you hearing what I'm saying? My fight isn't my spouse. My fight isn't my pastor. My, uh, certainly, my fight isn't my pastor's wife. Because some people think the pastor's wife is their fight. Come on. You know what I'm saying? That, that, our, our, uh, uh, that's not our fight. And let me just tell you right now. I, I, I see something in the spirit, pastor, that in, in Petersburg, God wants to bring the stronghold of resentment down. There's, an, there, there, there's a principality of resentment in that city that God has called you to bring it down. Come on, are you hearing what I'm saying? And, and the way we do that is we don't go in there saying, look what we've done. We go in there and diffuse the conflict okay, by adding value to the city. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And so what happens is in that moment, all of a sudden, they're, they're not angry anymore because he didn't take a defensive posture when he was attacked. 
Obviously, that is the most brilliant thing that he does because he goes, I need you to help me fight. I need you to help me win the victory. We're on the same team, ladies and gentlemen. Well, I'm not, you're not my enemy. I'm not oppressing you. The Midianites have been oppressing you for years. Then, and this will be my last verse. Then he says, and I love this, because here's what happens. What's amazing to me is that Gideon did not allow the Ephraimite's resentment to cause him to lose his vision and momentum. Because here's what can happen. When you're dealing with people who are difficult, I've seen this time and time again, we allow those difficult people to actually cause us to lose our momentum and to lose our vision. And their resentment becomes our vision. Their offense or their behavior becomes our vision, ladies and gentlemen. That's not my vision. I, God gave me a vision to go out and destroy all the Midianites. And, and yes, I'm going to have to deal with this because this is real to you. But I'm not going to let your hurt, your pain cause me to lose my vision. Because if I do, you're not going to fulfill your vision and I'm not going to fulfill mine because I'm not going to be mighty as God said. Because ladies and gentlemen, why did Gideon deal with the Ephraimites like that? Because God dealt with Gideon the same way. Come on. God told him that he was with him when, when Gideon even had wrong doctrine. Where's the miracles? Where, if you're this, why are this, why has this all happened to us? God dealt him with kindness. With, so Gideon dealt with the Ephraimites the same way, way God dealt with him. And at that moment here in verse 4, which is arguably one of my favorite verses in the book of Judges, when Gideon had came to the Jordan, he and the 300 men who were with him crossed over. Everybody say crossed over. How many want to cross over? How many want to cross over? Come on. How many want to cross over? Because here's the, here, here's the time. There comes that we have to deal with conflict in the church. We have to deal with situations in the church, ladies and gentlemen. But then we don't need to scamp there. We need to cross over. Come on. I mean, even my wife and I had to deal with a conflict a couple of months ago. We did not like it. It, was, it had to do with staff, and it was, it was horrible. But, ladies and gentlemen, I didn't allow our church to camp out in that conflict. Come on. To camp out in the pain, because when you have a small church, everybody sees who's there and who's not there. Come on. And what happens is, oh, so-and-so this, so-and-so this. And that becomes the stirring around, around the environment. And we forget that we're out to kill an enemy, plant churches, prophesy the word of the Lord, heal the sick, and raise the dead. Come on. And not to say that this conflict is not real, but many churches camp out in the conflict. Come on. They camp out in the resentment and never get past. And that's why they stay small. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And I'm not being small in numbers, but small in thinking. Small in thinking. Because you know what? It's not the numbers that I'm talking about tonight. It's about thinking bigger than we can imagine. Come on. It's about thinking bigger. Because if we don't think bigger, we'll get caught up in what has happened to us. We'll get up. Gosh, those, gosh, those Ephraimites, man. I can't believe they did that. And then we start gossiping about the Ephraimites. And, and we get more resentful. And then, it, and then it builds up. It comes across the pulpit. Because think about this. You know what? You know, think about this. Think about, I mean, just what I said earlier. 
You know, Jesus is having a staff meeting, you know, up in the mountain, because he wants to feed the 5,000. Then his own staff tell him, no, we're not doing it. Well, you're hearing me. If he, if, you know what? I'm so thankful that Jesus didn't fire him. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Which tells me something about our Lord. That, because he already knew what he was going to do. He just wanted them to participate with what he was doing. Are you hearing me? So he didn't allow their lack of faith to determine what he was going to do. He just wanted them to, to see his heart, to want to feed people. Come on. And he didn't give up on his disciples because sometimes what happens in the middle of when we're trying to, I mean, here he is, vision casting, dream casting. We're going to feed the 5,000. No, we're not. I mean, no, I'm not. Send them away. They all come up with excuses. And most people come up with excuses because money becomes their excuse. Money's got to be bigger than our vision. I mean, I mean, our vision's got to be bigger than money. Excuse me. But here's what happens. And if he and the 300 men who were with him crossed over, I want you to hear this. Exhausted, but still in pursuit. Everybody say this. Exhausted, but still in pursuit. Can I tell you something, Pastor Darren? Preaching, prophesying, being in the presence of God is not exhausting. In fact, it's invigorating. Sometimes I walk away out of a meeting and I go, oh my God, look what you have done. That's not exhausting. Seeing people healed is not exhausting. Seeing people delivered, seeing demons cast out, seeing deaf ears and blind eyes and all the miracles that God is doing and, and preaching all over the country is not exhausting. You know what's exhausting? Having to deal with people who were resentful and hurt and having to deal with my church family that can't see past their resentment. Are you hearing what I'm saying? That was being exhausting because I have to tell you, that is what's draining. That's what draining. Even, I can tell you this, even as Meliana shared that earlier, that, you know, even when a lot of times on Wednesday night we don't sleep, Simply because we've done a Sunday through Wednesday every night, and, and, and then on, then we go back, pack, and, and and literally maybe lay down for an hour or two, and then have to get up and go to the airport, and sometimes not even lay down, just completely go, and because it's a tweener, and we have to get to the airport, and and we haven't slept, and then and then land in Tucson, go home, change clothes, take a shower, run to church right at seven o'clock to be there. Sometimes we've literally got off the plane one straight to church many, many times. See, that's not the exhausting part. The exhausting part is when you've invested in somebody and you poured your life into them and, and that's still not good enough. Come on. Are you hearing what I'm saying? When, you, when, when, when all of a sudden you, 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 you thought everything was good with you and them, and all of a sudden something rose up within them because, the, because there was something inside their soul that you didn't see. Because all of us, all of us, it happens to the best of us. Because, because God had given me a word in March when we were going through some warfare in the church. And he said, John, you allowed your compassion to override your discernment. 
Not that we don't want to be compassionate, but we also have to discern too. And, uh, and but Gideon brilliantly discerns the situation, discerns the situation that, listen, I don't need to engage in battle with the Ephraimites. And I can tell you when the Bible says they were exhausted, they weren't exhausted because they hadn't even, they hadn't even engaged in hand-to-hand -hand combat up to this point. All they did was make noise. How many know worship is not exhausting? Praising God is not exhausting. I have never seen anybody that praised God exhausted. Come on. I've seen them sweaty, come on. I've seen them fall out and weep, but I've never seen them exhausted. What I've seen them is vigor, invigorated and, and brought in because you can't praise God and not have God pour back into you. Because he's a giver. You can't outgive God. You give God praise. He gives you so much more than whatever you gave him. Come on. That's why you got to give God praise, brother, for everything God's done in your life. Because if you don't, you can have, never have God give you something back. So, so what happens is, is when we praise God. So the exhausting was the Ephraimites. The Ephraimites. And so exhausted, but I love this. The exhausted but still in pursuit. Oh, come on. Everybody say, but still in pursuit. Yes, I'm exhausted. Yes, it's difficult. Yes, it's not easy. Yes, it's costly. And, you know, I can tell you something. Even when I look back, sometimes I, sometimes I go, oh, God, look how much money I spent. And, and I mean, I, I mean I, I'm like, look how many thousands, over 100,000. I'm going, oh God, you spent $100,000 and then you're going to, you know, just, how are you going to get that back? But I got over that. The money's not exhausting because God's the one that gives you the money. Are you hearing me? But what's exhausting is when you're feeding people and they don't get it. They don't get it. But here's the thing I want to leave you with. We're exhausted, but yet we're still going to pursue. Are you hearing what I'm saying? I'm, I, I may be exhausted, but I'm still going to plant churches. I may be exhausted, but in 2023, I'm still going to preach over 300 times. Are you hearing what I'm saying? I'm going to still press in. People will say, well, Brother Harkey, are you going to burn out? No, 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 no. Uh, because, uh, because you think that the church service is exhausting. Church service is not exhausting. What exhausting is you telling me that it's exhausting. Come on. Are you, are you are you here? Because I'm tired of you telling me how how exhausting it is. You're complaining about, oh, worship is too long. Worship here at Faith Assembly is too long. Let me just tell you, we're just prepping you for heaven. Come on. We're just prepping you for heaven. I don't care if worship is two hours. Come on. Because you watch that ball game, man. I mean, you know, I got a Cubs hat. I got I bought finally bought a Cubs hat. You got me. Okay, I'm oh, you hear me. You know, a few years ago, we, we the last the last baseball game we a major league game we went and I, we went to a game because at, we went to St. Louis and brother is in his cub tire and I'm and I'm thinking man I cannot go in the stadium packing man I can't pack and a gun and he's got I got to guard him you know I got to guard your pass like, don't wear that you know don't wear you know, he, all Cubs, Cubs, Cubs. He's got, he's got a Cubs nose ring. He's got Cubs earrings. He's got Cubs everywhere. He's Cubby, Cubby, you know. You know what I'm saying, you know. 
So the other day I bought a Cubs hat. You know what I mean? Yes, praise God. And then I realized that, and then, and then when I flew in to go get my rent-a-car, I, I, I flew in a day earlier, and I was going to put my Cubs hat on to go get my rent-a-car. Like, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. I'm not doing that. Come on. I'm not as bold. I'm not as bold. I was in St. Louis. I'm not as bold as Pastor Garrett. He's got more. He's got, he's more, he's more mightier than I am. Come on. And, and so I look at that and I see the fact that here's Gideon. The Ephraimites had literally drained him, yet he's still in pursuit of God's vision. How many in the middle of your exhaustion are going to still pursue God? Come on. Sometimes, you know, Meliana, I tell you something. Sometimes we, I mean, she, she does it. And when we get up at 5.30 in the morning, and like, like what, what it was, and it was like a few, when we were in January and February, it was 2.30 in the morning when prayer, prayer meetings started. And her and I would put our alarm after being, you know, being late in the church and then having dinner, coming home, coming back to the hotel 12 or 1 o'clock in the morning. And then, and then, and then, um, after that, because usually the fellowship is longer than the church service, you know, and so, so, and then waking, popping up, and, and, and getting up, and I, but then I realized, I realized, that's why heroin acts get delivered, that's why young couples who've been living together for 10 years get married, that's why babies get dedicated the families come to watch the baby dedication. In the last three Thursdays, we've had baby dedication. And the families have come uh, that are related to the, to the family, and they got saved. Come on. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Yes, we're exhausted, but I'm still in pursuit. Yes, we're exhausted, but we're still singing up here. Yes, we're exhausted, but we're still preaching. Yes, we're exhausted. We're still doing what God has called us to do. And ladies and gentlemen, they completely overrode the Gideonites. I mean, excuse me, the, the, the Midianites, and they began to win the entire battle for Israel. Ladies and gentlemen, we got to win the battle for Illinois. We got to win the battle for America. Come on. We, we got to stop saying, you know what? Yeah, I, I realize, yes, we're exhausted, but I'm still going to pursue the will of God no matter how I feel. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Give God a shout of praise right now. Lift your hands toward heaven. Lift your hands toward heaven right now.